I'm excited to be preaching again, having not preached for the last couple of weeks, two weeks ago. Um, Gary Richardson, of course, was here. If you remember um, his time when he was here preaching in Philippians chapter 1, and then Jeff Sherman preached last week. And so I was really thankful to have a couple of weeks off in a row. But um, when you're a preacher, that's what you want to do. And so I'm excited to be back at it this morning. Well, we're in James chapter 2, looking specifically in verses 1 to 13. And I want to start by asking you a question. Are you a a partial Christian? Are you a partial Christian? And by partial, I don't mean are you 50% a Christian? Or are you 25% a Christian? By partial, I'm asking if you show partiality to certain people or to certain kinds of people within the church or maybe even outside of the church. I want you to imagine a situation or maybe even think of a situation that you might have experienced within the context of a church in which a person came into worship looking, as we might at least initially think, awful. Shabby clothes. The smell of of body odor mixed with heavy alcohol and heavy tobacco smells. Unkempt hair untrimmed facial hair. He looks rough. And just as we kind of get over our initial impression of this man walking into our congregation, we suddenly hear the revving of an engine and we look out into the parking lot and there sits a beautiful yellow Ferrari. And the the doors open. A man with Brown-styled hair comes out, dark sunglasses, a custom suit perfectly made for him, and five massive rings on one hand. He steps out of the car, and we recognize that it is the king of New England sports, (laughs) Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. This is not my fantasy, by the way. This is a a sermon illustration. But Tom goes to the other side of that yellow Ferrari and he opens the door and out steps his wife, Giselle. She's decked in diamonds and gold, $8,000 dress. They walk into the church and we get a whiff of their cologne and their perfume as they walk by. And our ushers direct the Bradys to the front. the, The seats are much softer in the front. And the ushers direct the homeless man into the back on the harder seats. And you've watched all of this unfold in the span of just three or four minutes. You you have a husband and wife that are beautiful, and you have a homeless man who is not. Both of them come into our worship gathering. Which one of them are you likely to make a move toward? Some of you are thinking, well, to be honest, the homeless man would kind of turn me off quickly. He's probably only here to to ask for money to feed his, his addictions, right? And I'm a Patriots fan, so naturally, I would go over to Tom Brady. And some of you are thinking, well, Brandon, this illustration doesn't really work for me. You set it up to have the Bradys be this sort of attractive people that I'd want to gravitate toward. But the reality is, I hate Tom Brady, and I'd rather talk to the homeless man. But you see, the illustration does work for you, because you have shown partiality against the Bradys. The truth of the matter is that we all within our sinful nature are partial to certain people. It's within our hearts and sometimes it's revealed within our actions. Some of you might prefer certain people who have attained a certain level 
of education, some of you might be turned off by people who have attained a certain level of education. Some of you may be partial to people who have power within our community. Some of you might be partial to people who actually don't have any power at all within the communities. Some of you might be partial to people who have power in the churches. Some of you may be partial to somebody who has the same skin color that you have or dresses the same as you or maybe is in the same generation, baby boomer, millennial, whatever you classify as. Or maybe you are partial to people who are attractive or they have the same hobbies or they have the same age children or they have the same animals that you have or they educate their children the same way that you might educate your children. And you are partial to those people. You would prefer those people over other people. Some of you who may be partial to people, and I say this without joking, you might be partial to people who are from Maine over people who are from away. And there are churches that even as a whole seem to be built upon being partial to certain segments. There are churches that truly shoot simply for the white middle class suburbanites and that's who they're going after. You have other churches that are aimed specifically at low or no income folks. You have other churches that are aimed specifically at young people. That's their drive. That's what they want. Partiality is a plague for the people of God. And I want to show you this morning from James chapter 2 is that heirs of the kingdom of God are an impartial people. Heirs of the kingdom of God are an impartial people. James sets up for us this illustration, this situation, like the one I began the sermon with, where a poor man and a rich man come into the assembly of God's people. And there's debate over whether this is a, 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 a early church service or whether this is some sort of, of, of church court situation that they were having. Regardless, it's some sort of gathering of the church. And it's apparent that the rich man that comes in is not a believer. In fact, he's a blasphemer, James says. But the poor man who comes in is a believer, and the other Christians are partial to the rich non-believer over the poor believer. And I think James's point here is that heirs of the kingdom are impartial. Yet what he sees, whether this is hypothetical or some have suggested James has had actually seen this situation play out, James's point is that heirs of the kingdom of God should not be partial to one of these over the other. And there are at least five reasons, I think, within our text this morning that we should be an impartial people, which are all in the back of your bulletin, by the way. And we'll start with the first one. Heirs of the kingdom hold the king's faith, really, they behold the king's glory. Heirs of the kingdom behold the king's glory. Look with me first at verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. James is saying that to be a genuine person of faith and to be partial to another person over another, is incompatible. It doesn't work. To be a partial person 
And to be a person of faith doesn't mix. It's like an algebra problem where you have the positive of being a person of faith and the negative of being a partial person. The negative, the positive, the negative makes it a negative. And so ultimately it's a negative because the one in which our faith is placed is impartial with his own people. And so the king of the kingdom of God, Jesus, is impartial with the heirs of his kingdom, which would be us. I mean, you notice the way James uses this language of his half-brother Jesus. He really has this high Christology, doesn't he? How he emphasizes who his half-brother Jesus is, and we see the effect of understanding Jesus rightly for who he is, and how this then affects if we're going to be partial or not. James says that he's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, or our glorious Lord. James acknowledges That Jesus is the Lord. He is the master over everything. He is the sovereign. He's the one who is in control. There's nothing at all that happens outside of the purview of Jesus, outside of His control and outside of His direction. But James also calls Jesus the Christ, doesn't he? Jesus Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. This is a title. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He is the long-awaited, anointed one who was promised all the way back in the book of Genesis. The one who would save his people from their sins. And so he is the Lord, but he is the Messiah. And I want you to notice specifically, though, at the end of verse 1, this is kind of rare. Paul does it. James does it. It says, the Lord of Glory, he's, he's, he's ascribing the glory of God to Jesus. Like he is the Lord of glory. And so what is going to happen in my life and what is going to happen in your life when the glory of the Lord of glory is what you're seeking first? Like that, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, the Westminster Catechism says. But what is going to happen in your life when, when that's real to you? Like you're actually pursuing the glory of the Lord of glory in every situation. Let me tell you what will happen, at least in terms of your partiality issue, among many things though, but for the theme that James is getting at here, what's going to happen when you seek the glory of the Lord of glory... Above else, when you are explicitly partial to the Lord of glory, you will be impartial to ones who belong to Him. When you are partial to the Lord of glory and Him alone, you will then be impartial to those who belong to Him. And so partiality happens when you don't have Jesus in His rightful place. When you look at somebody and you look down on them, Or when you see a couple people come into the church and say, I'm going to go for these people, not for these people. That it's out of what James says is evil thoughts. And the problem is, initially here in verse 1, is that you don't have Jesus in His rightful place. Seeing Christ clearly as the Lord of glory enables me to then see other people clearly. As one author said, you don't honor the wealthy because they are rich in money. You honor Christ Because he is rich in glory. And so when you think of that illustration I opened the sermon with, 
And you think of the illustration that James uses about a rich man who comes into this assembly of God's people with a ring on his hand and a poor man who comes in with shabby clothing. The reason you are compelled to prefer one of these people over the other begins with the fact that you don't have a clear view of the Lord of glory. Because if you were enamored with his glory, you would not be enamored with the rich man. Which brings us to the second point. So first... We behold the king's glory. And this is really the first thing that shreds a spirit of partiality within us. But second, we honor the king's people. We honor the king's people. We don't dishonor them. We honor them because within James' illustration about a rich man and a poor man coming in, it's apparent that they had honored the rich man who was an unbeliever, but they had dishonored the poor man who was a believer. Look at verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? One of the cute things that that children often do during the summertime is they go outside and they grab a bunch of flowers, right? weeds a lot of the times. right? And then they run inside and they're proud of what they picked. And then they hand them to you and say, I, I picked these for you. right? A child went outside with you in mind and they choose these little flowers or weeds that you and I would so often consider meaningless. Yet now those same weeds have become meaningful, haven't they? And what James says is that God has done the same thing. Those who are so often overlooked as meaningless, the the weeds of the world, the the poor people of the world, right? They're overlooked even by other heirs of the kingdom that although they had been chosen by God, they had not been chosen by God's people. That although they are meaningful to God, they are not meaningful to the people of God. And how do you think that God feels about that? How do you think God thinks when he sees us treat people with partiality in the context of his church. As a professing part of the bride of Christ, as a professing heir of the kingdom, you would dishonor another part of the bride of Christ by dishonoring, specifically James's illustration, the poor? James says in verse 4 that if that's you, you are a judge with evil thoughts. And he says in verse 9 that you are a sinner. You have transgressed the law. Don't you love how right to the point James is? You do this, you're this. You do this, you're wrong. How often do you and I forget that we were once, spiritually speaking, the naked and the starving people of this world? Spiritually, we looked just man, like, like the man in shabby clothes. And then God takes us. He puts his arm around us and he puts his robes on us and he makes us an heir of the kingdom. Yet we would, those who have been extended so much grace and mercy, then treat somebody without mercy? Making them, according to James, you know, sit over here, sit over here, sit at my feet, actually. Why don't you sit at my feet and take the position of a servant? Isn't it obvious then that the ethic of the kingdom of God flips our thinking completely on its head. 
that God is obviously not concerned with the wealth of the world. After all, didn't you hear the story about his, how his son wasn't laid in a golden laced crib? He was laid in a manger, poor. Did you not hear how his son didn't go on to be a king like Solomon with all of his riches? Instead, he spoke about how the birds and the foxes had a place to lay their head at night, but Jesus had no place to lay his head at night. Like, God is not impressed with the wealthy of the world. Ask the rich young ruler, right? Jesus goes to him and says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then follow after me. I mean, this is why this whole notion of a prosperity gospel is an absolute gash on the so-called evangelical church. That somehow following Jesus is going to unlock the treasure chest and your bills are going to be paid. Right? So, and, and, and you're going to have a massive bank account. And you're going to have that yellow Ferrari. God doesn't choose the rich of the world. He has chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith, right? So although poor, materially, monetarily, He's chosen them to be rich in what actually matters. But you and I are so short-sighted when it comes to this. We do not often honor the poor. We do not often have the disposition that Paul has in Galatians chapter 2 when they ask him to remember the poor and he says, that's the very thing that I'm eager to do. Heirs of the kingdom, honor the king's people. Third, heirs of the kingdom, obey the king's law. Look at verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So why is this the royal law? Because it belongs to the king, right? This is the king's edict that you would love your neighbor as yourself. This is a quotation from all the way back in the book of Leviticus in chapter 19, that we would love our neighbors as ourselves. Consistent obedience to this royal law will continue to strip away partiality that we have. And so when I see somebody that I automatically want to be partial against, or I want to discriminate against, or be prejudiced against, in any sense, for any reason, what is part of this remedy, James? Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you remember the lawyer that came up to Jesus and asked him what to do to have eternal life? And then the lawyer says that we need to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we need to love our neighbor. And then the lawyer has the gall to say to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus launches into the parable of the Good Samaritan, doesn't he? You know this story that a Jewish man gets beat to a bloody pulp A Jewish priest walks by. He sees him. He walks by. A Jewish Levite sees the man on the side of the road, half dead. He walks by. And then a Samaritan comes who the Jews hated. And this Samaritan sees this Jewish man and he takes him to the inn and he pays for his stay and his care. And Jesus asks, out of the priest, Levite, and Samaritan, Which one of them had compassion? Which one of them had mercy? Which one of these loved their neighbor? Which one obeyed the royal law? The Samaritan. The eradication of partiality 
and prejudice and discrimination between ethnic lines and socioeconomic lines and any other line is the proper application of the royal law. The Bible tells us that God has chosen people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, which means that in heaven right now and for all eternity, there are going to be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation in heaven. Question. Why isn't there any discrimination in heaven? Why are there not two different water fountains for the different tribes? Why is there no discrimination there? Because they are now able to obey fully to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, and with all of their strength. The vertical is perfect and the horizontal is perfect. That they vertically love God with everything they have perfectly and now, horizontally, they can all love each other. There's no wars going on in heaven right now. There's no tribal issues going on in heaven right now. It's all perfect and beautiful because the royal law itself is being perfectly obeyed. And so if the goal then, within at least the context of our churches, we cannot control what happens out in our communities and those who are not believing. But within the context of our churches, what we have to think of minimally is on earth as it is in heaven. And so we want to see the application of the heavenly royal law on this earth. And when we begin to see it in our churches and the kingdom of God begins to expand and people are becoming lovers of God all over our communities, all over the state of Maine, all over the country, all over the world, then we will begin to see more and more the eradication of all these issues that we're having. And so how can I be stripped of my partiality toward a rich person? Because I love that rich person. And I love the poor person. How can I be stripped of racial prejudice? Because I love my king and I love my neighbor. How can I even be stripped of that feeling that I get when I look at my phone and it's that name of my family member or friend or person in the church that I just don't want to talk to right now. How do I get over that? I love them. I love our God. And I love that person. And James says, this is great. I love this affirmation. James says, if you obey the royal law, you are doing well. Sometimes it's just nice to hear, you're doing well, right? You're doing your job. But, verse 9, if you don't love somebody, and you discriminate against them. James does not mince words. Verse 9, But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. You show partiality, you have sinned. And the law convicts you as a transgressor. When the Bible talks about this specifically in the Old Testament and James as well, being a transgressor means that you have stepped over the boundary. Hunting season is going to begin in a couple of years. And of course, uh, land's posted all over the place. And if you step onto, onto somebody's posted land, you have stepped over the boundary, right? You have transgressed. And like one author has said, we dare not play favorites with those for whom Christ died. The final two points I'd like to really take together because although they're contrasted, they really complement each other. 
And that is judgment and mercy. Look at verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We remember the king's judgment and we mirror the king's mercy. The reality is that every person on earth is going to stand before their maker. All of us here, Christian or non-Christian, we are all going to stand before our God. We are all going to be judged. And there are differences of opinion and different judgments and how all that plays out. But the Bible is clear. We are all going to be judged. You see people's true colors when they do what they want without fear of repercussion or judgment. And James tells us to speak and to act as those who will be judged. His point is that we would speak and act with mercy, with application of the royal law. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has no mercy. Remember the story that Jesus told of the man who was forgiven this great debt by the king, right? And then he goes out and he forces this guy who only owes him a little bit of money and he gets him thrown in prison. And then what ends up happening? The mercy goes away and the judgment is severe because he had not expressed mercy. God, or the king in that situation, would not express mercy with him and he was eventually judged without mercy because he refused to show it. Yet the mark of an impartial Christian who is, who is applying this royal law in his life, who is keeping the Lord of glory centralized in his mind, he is going to be the one who expresses mercy. We often sing about the mercy of Christ. What patience would wait as we constantly roam. What father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins there are many. His mercy is more. As Richard Sibbs has said, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. And the question is, for those who have been extended such mercy... For those who have tasted the kindness of God, how dare we be unmerciful and partial to those whom God loves? As those who have been extended the kind of mercy we have been extended, we should be the most merciful people to exist. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. But there may be those here who have not experienced the mercy of Christ. Have you experienced His mercy? He says, Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you. Learn of Me, for I am gentle. I am merciful. I am meek. I am lowly in heart. Have you accepted? Like the two blind men, who saw Jesus walking, have you called out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Has God shed His mercy upon you? As we close, will you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25? This continues to be in the context of of that idea of judgment. Matthew 25, verse 31. And I'll just read to verse 40. 
when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right but the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And listen, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison. And you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and gave you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers... You did it to me. King Jesus so closely identifies with the heirs of his kingdom that when his heirs are fed, when his heirs are visited in prison, when when his heirs are given drink and given clothes and welcomed into the congregation, it's as though you did it to Jesus himself. And so to be partial and to discriminate against another brother or sister for any reason is to actually discriminate against Jesus himself. May God help us to be so partial to our king that we would never be impartial to one another. Lord, thank you for your word. Oh God, help us to obey it now. Some of these just lofty truths. You are the Lord of glory. You have made us heirs of your glorious kingdom. Called us to obey your royal law. To honor one another. To not be partial. You've called us to remember the fact that we're going to be judged And you have called us to mirror the mercy that you have extended to us. Lord, would you make our church truly an impartial church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.